Okay, so thanks for everyone for tuning in for episode three. Uh, in the last episode, episode two, we were talking about consciousness and its relation to us. And in fact, what we found out is that consciousness is defined in the scriptures of meditation that it is actually the self. So that's the inner self, and we talked about that self in the last episode. In this episode, we're going to look at the mind and how it functions along with the self. So we, like last episode, the way I left it is that we don't lose our minds uh, when we attain the self, but what we do is we have to understand what the mind is from the point of view of these uh, scriptures on meditation. So we have to understand that the mind, even though it is a part of consciousness, uh, it's still a can be troubling for us to have the awareness that we are the self. So the Eastern philosophies try to understand the mind and they really are Eastern psychologies. So uh, when we look at Eastern philosophy, it's really their psychology. And that's how we should look at Eastern philosophy too um, and understand that it's basically a psychology uh, from the ancient East. So it be, we begin by looking at how important the mind is and not undervaluing it um, because when you, when you undervalue something, you're, you're, it's not going to be a good means of approaching it to try to understand it. So we give the mind the highest value. We don't give it as much value as the self, right? But we give it an enormous amount of value nonetheless. And we know this because uh, in the West, psychology is very important in deciding whether a person is fit or unfit. And it's the mind that is essentially uh, looked at and diagnosed as being diseased or healthy. It's not the self. That's why we don't like to uh, use stigma when we're dealing with people from the West with various uh, psychological problems because to say the person's bad is not true, uh, but to say that they are, that their minds are diseased in some way or another is the way we should be looking at it. And, and that's also true. Eastern philosophy supports that. Uh, it realizes that the self is pure in all minds, no matter if they're diseased or healthy. So that's also how we should look at it. And Eastern philosophy uh, really respects the notion of mental stillness as the goal. So if we have a still mind, then our mind is a healthy mind. And if we have a healthy mind, it means our mind is calm and still and peaceful. So how do we get the mind to become peaceful? The way to get the mind, uh, the way to get 
the mind to be peaceful is to understand it. And the understanding we will draw from Eastern philosophy, which says that the mind is a part of the self. So we looked at the self yes, uh, last episode, and we saw that the self encompasses everything there is, including us. That will also include the mind, or our minds are also a part of this self, this Satchitananda being truth, consciousness, and bliss. So that's what the self was defined as last episode, if you didn't listen. And this episode, we're talking about the mind, and we're speaking of the mind in terms of being a part of the self. So when we look at the mind, what is it, what's its substrate? What is it, substrate might be a wrong word, but what is it working with? And we realize it's really working with language. Words uh, 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 form sentences, uh, and much of what our minds are dealing with is language, is in terms of language. So if we, we understand that the mind is a part of the self, and in fact, Eastern philosophy, there's a great scripture on meditation that says that the mind is actually, actually a contracted form of, of the self or of consciousness. So if we understand, we, we, we said previously that it was a part of consciousness, but the scriptures say that it's actually a contracted form of consciousness. So if we understand the mind as a contracted form of consciousness, then what is language? What are the sounds of language? The words, the letters, the sentences? Well, if it's coming from the mind, then we understand that those, thing, those, those words, that language, would also have to be consciousness as well. So that means all languages, all books, all philosophies, um, <clears throat> all texts are consciousness because they come from the mind of an individual and the mind of the individual is a part of the self. That's an important point to understand, and that's a helpful technique, too, to understand that, so what are our thoughts? Our thoughts are composed of language, mostly. Um, you might imagine an image, uh, but most of the time your thoughts are going to be centered around words. So if we understand that the words we think about are consciousness, then our minds become peaceful because our minds like consciousness, uh, because it's sort of like the mind likes consciousness because it's, it's, a, it's more than a friend, it's sort of its source or its father or mother. So it likes withdrawing back into consciousness. That's where it feels the most peaceful and that's where it feels uh, healthy and that's where it is healthy. So if we can understand what the mind is churning on, letters, words, sentences, as consciousness, then uh, we can withdraw the mind back into consciousness easier. So we want to understand that the psychotherapists, say, of the West, they, they may not understand this point. Uh, but if they do, they would be able to become... I think better therapists 
but they also would be able to meditate themselves. I mean, therapists are human beings. They see patients during the day, but what happens when they go home at night? Uh, they're human beings like us, and they should be able to meditate too, because that would help them uh, in their practice if they were to meditate along with seeing their patients. Um, and also, I think that would help them become better, better therapists. Um, I'm not a therapist, but uh, I can understand that talking to people with mental disease can be probably uh, can probably make the therapist over time not feel so great because they're imbibing all of this energy uh, from their patients. So one of the differences between Western psychology and Eastern psychology is that in Western psychology we really want to try to just say whatever is on our mind and being as open with the therapist in terms of our thoughts and feelings as possible. Otherwise it becomes very difficult for the therapist to understand what's going on and to provide support uh, or help with our problems. But Eastern philosophy looks at it differently. It says, well, if you never restrain the mind from thinking and coming up with things, what if those things are extremely negative uh, and maybe even harmful? Will the person act on these feelings? And, and, and Western psychologists, they understand this, um, but the Eastern philosophy very much stresses restraint uh, in thinking. It doesn't believe that if you think thoughts on end uh, without any restraint that you're going to be uh, a happy person. They think in the East that if you do this, more likely you're going to be an unhealthy person or a, you'll have an unhealthy mind if you don't restrain it. So we're going to keep focusing on the differences between the Eastern and Western psychology uh, to try to find out what the Eastern psychology says. So they both share this idea of childhood, the childhood environment. So this is where they're similar. The West looks at childhood trauma and experiences in childhood that are repressed, and the therapist tries to have them become open and honest with their childhood experiences, especially if they're traumatic. Uh, and that's what a Western psychotherapist does because that's the way to cure one from mental disease. And remember, the person isn't bad because they have mental disease. They are healthy in a sense because they're the self. So we, we want to, that means that People, all people can be cured regardless of what is wrong with them uh, because of this idea that the self exists in everyone regardless of their mental disease. So the, if you were raised, for example, in a, in a family that wasn't very loving, um, both Eastern philosophy and Western philosophy would see this as obviously not ideal. It's not that the Eastern philosopher is cruel, uh, but the Eastern philosopher says that if you are not loved as a child, 
that means you take it on yourself to love yourself. Uh, and this is very similar to a child that was born in a poor household. Uh, the child would be obviously instructed to go out and make his or her own way uh, if the parents, say, can't afford college or can't afford a car, uh, so things like this, the child would be uh, correctly instructed to go out and work and create his own wealth, his or her own wealth. In the same way, if we were raised in an unloving environment as children, we would take it upon ourselves to start loving ourselves uh, and not depend on love from outside. So this is an Eastern philosophical technique. It's also sort of a modern psycho psychological, Western psychological technique of loving oneself. And so we're going to break up this podcast into two pieces uh, because it is such a, such a big topic. So this will be uh, Eastern Psychology Part 1, and the next episode will be Eastern Psychology Part 2. And I'll end this um, part one by saying that no matter how bad or how diseased we might be mentally, we can meditate. It doesn't matter if you're depressed. It doesn't matter if you're suffering from psychosis. You can meditate uh, as well. And in fact, meditation will help you with your condition. If you're seeing a therapist, you can meditate uh, when you're not in the therapy session. Uh, you shouldn't be meditating during the therapy session. You should be listening to the therapist. But when your therapy session is over and you're getting ready to sleep, you can meditate along with using uh, the, any sort of psychiatric drugs that you may have. Just talk to your therapist or your doctor and say that, you know, I'm meditating at night uh, for 20 minutes. And, you know, you can ask them about it. But I, I'm not a doctor, but I don't see any problem with meditation. It's very much like sleep. So, like we said in the first two uh, episodes. So, thank you very much for listening. And we'll see you for part two on Eastern Psychology next time. Thank you very much.